सद्गमय तमसो ज्योतिर्गमय मृत्युर्मा अमृत गमय ओ शाति शाति ओम लीडर्स फ्रॉम द अनरियल टू द रियल लीडर्स फ्रॉम डार्कनेस एंड टू लाइट लीडर्स फ्रॉम डेथ टू इमोटैलिटी ओम पीस 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 um yes please come oh i was wondering yes we'll start with the <laughs> chant please come can i use the board the white board can i use that yeah i can put it here गणेशा नम सरस्वत नम श्रीगुरुभ्यो नम हरि जाग्रस्वन सुषुप्तिषुस्फुटतरा संविदुजृंभते या ब्रह्मादीतिशु जगत्साक्षिणी गुरु सकल सिन्मात्रविस्तारितृगुणयाखतरे निर्मले चांडालोस्तुस्तुजोस्तु गुरु तनीशाश्वर विश्वखिल निश्चेवाचा गुरो ब्रह्म विमृतर विमृशता ुष्कृतुरीषा
Advaita Vedanta is, in spite of its vast literature and ancient traditions, it's very easily summed up. And it's summed up in brief sentences. A single sentence which sums up the entire teaching of Advaita Vedanta. These Vedic sentences are called Mahavakya. Mahava, Maha literally means the vast or the great, and Vakya means sentence. So great sentence, not in the sense of a long sentence, but the sense of a profound sentence. In Sanskrit, Arthato Mahan. That means profound in meaning, deep in meaning. And there are many such sentences. All of them mean the same thing. They all mean the same thing. Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, that thou art. This very self is the infinite. All of them mean the same thing. That you are the infinite existence consciousness bliss. There are many such sentences scattered throughout the Vedas. But for convention, from each of the four Vedas, one such sentence is picked, representative. So there are, conventionally speaking, in Advaita tradition, there are four such great sentences, four Mahavakyas. And, um, just, let me just write it down. From the Rig Veda, Is this too small? Little bigger? Okay. The from the in the in the Rig Veda in the Aitareya Upanishad. I'm writing in brief. Aitareya Upanishad. The sentence is Pragyanam Brahma. This is one, one Mahavakya. The sentence is Pragyanam Brahma. What does it mean? Consciousness is Brahman. By Brahman it means the ultimate reality, the vast, the infinite. So consciousness is the ultimate reality. Then the second Mahavakya would be even the numbering is, uh, is, is conventional. It's, there's no particular reason to first, second, and third. But conventionally, the Rig Veda is taken as the oldest of the Vedas in, in one sense. That's why you start with that. Um, the second one, let me put it this way. Why I'm mentioning this is, the five verses which we shall study, Manisha Panchakam, the five verses composed by Shankaracharya, you remember the story. He um, is confronted by the Chandala and he replies in these five verses. The first four verses, each of those verses is, is uh, based on one of these Mahavakyas. One of these great sentences forms the basis for each of these verses. So the first verse, which we will study now, this foundational, is based on this Mahavakya. Pragyanam Brahma, consciousness is the ultimate reality. The second verse, which we shall study in the next session, is, is based on the Yajurveda Mahavakya, Aham Brahmasmi. The Veda is Yajurveda, the Upanishad is the Brihadaranya Upanishad, I'm not writing the whole thing, which is literally the biggest Upanishad in terms of bulk. Um, and the Mahavakya, the sentence is Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. Uh, which all of us can legitimately claim, I am Brahman. Aham in Sanskrit, Aham means I, Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. The third verse, which we shall study um, again in the second session, did I flip that too fast? I am Brahman. Aham Brahmasmi. That's from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. So this is, the, this is the actual sentence. Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. The beauty of these sentences is if someone asks you, what's all this about? Just one sentence is enough. Any one of them.
Then the third verse, which again we shall study this afternoon, third verse, verse of Manisha Panchakam is based on the Samaveda Mahavakya Tattvamasi. Samaveda. And that's from the Chandogya Upanishad. Sixth chapter. Chandogya Upanishad. This is the most famous Mahavakya. Tattvamasi, that thou art. That, that meaning Brahman, thou meaning you, art, that thou art, or you are that. And the fourth verse, which we shall study tomorrow, of the Manisha Panchakam, is based on the last Mahavakya, the Atharva Veda Mahavakya. And it is from the Mandukya Upanishad, which happens to be the smallest of the Upanishads, the shortest. And the Mahavakya is, I am Atma Brahma. I am Atma Brahma. Which means, this self, which self? This self. This self is Brahman. And they all, you can see, they mean the same thing. This awareness which we feel right now within ourselves, this sentience, awareness, consciousness, whatever you call it. This, if you really know it as it is, is the ultimate reality of this universe, of, of all existence. Or, I am Brahman, can't get any more direct than that. Or, that thou art, the teacher tells you, that reality, ultimate reality, is you. Or, this very self is Brahman. They all mean the same thing. And each of the verses, the first four verses, they are built around each of these Mahavakis. Sometimes, in the case of the third Mahavakya, for example, Tattvamasi, the link between the verse we shall study and the Mahavakya is rather tenuous, but it's there. You can find the trace there. So that's four verses of the Manisha Panchakam, and the fifth one is a general summary of the whole teaching. So that's what is going to happen. The first one is built around consciousness. This consciousness is Brahman. Which consciousness? What we all feel within ourselves right now. All right. Now, as you can see in all of them, you are Brahman or I am Brahman. This very self is Brahman. But it does not, it does not feel like that. I'm sorry, were you able to hear, hear till now? Yeah. But it does not feel like that. We, whatever Brahman is, we don't feel very Brahman-like. <laughs> the problem is that we are convinced, we are convinced beyond any questioning that we know what we are. I know that I am this body and mind. I feel it, that I am this, this person, this limited body and mind. Whatever I am, I stop. I know this much that I definitely stop here. The limit of my existence is at the tip of my finger. You know, Anakagra, the Upanishad says, I, am, I extend till the tip of my fingernails. Beyond that, not me. It may be you or anything else, but I stop here. This is my limit. This is what we are convinced about. And the Upanishads and Vedanta insists we are wrong. We are deeply, deeply wrong. Swami Vivekananda here in America, he would often say, he would meet his American disciples, sometimes he would say with a touch of pathos, if only you knew yourself as you truly are. So this is really the task of Vedanta, to investigate what we are. So all of these Mahavakyas, they all start with us. It's not an investigation of the world outside, but an investigation into ourselves, into what we are, who we are or what we are. Um, the claim is that we do not know ourselves as we truly are. I repeated this earlier, but I really like this quote from Mark Twain, who says that, it's not what we do not know that gets us into trouble. 
It just we, what we think, it just ain't so. That's what gets us into, into trouble. I am Brahman or I am Shiva, I am that ultimate reality, it just ain't so. That's what got us into this trouble. That's why we are in samsara. The process of Vedanta, it does not do really anything to you. It just uncovers, you discover something which was already there. So you are not becoming Brahman, you are not being transformed into God, you know. 50% in, uh, Brahman, 75% Brahman and now <laughs> you have those progress bars in computers moving 50%, 80%, 90% and sometimes it gets stuck and goes round and round and round. <laughs> it often feels like that in spiritual life, seems to be stuck in going round and round and not 50 or 80%, at 20% or 25% or something like that. And maybe next life, start all over again, no. The process of, of Vedanta is different. I mean, I cannot ex explain it better, illustrate it but better than this very nice story. Um, we introduced the washerman yesterday. Do you remember the story of the diamond and the washerman? Let's go back to our friend, the washerman. And if you go to a riverbank in India and see the washerman at work, you will see another character. You have to introduce another important character today. The washerman's donkey. <laughs> so usually the washerman would go around with this donkey on which he would load the laundry and take it to the river bank and wash it and then they would spread it out on the, in the hot sun, something like this outside to dry and then he would neatly fold it, put it back on the donkey's back and then drive the donkey back to home and next day he would go out on his delivery rounds and give back your clean laundry. So that's how it worked. So donkey is an essential part of it. He's the transport, the SUV. Now, this washerman He's got this load of clothes, he comes to the river bank, a distance from his house in the village. And then, oh my God, he discovers that he has forgotten to get the rope with which to tie the donkey. Now he's going to be at work on the, near the river. He can't afford to have the donkey wandering off. That would be a disaster. He would be helpless without the donkey. Um, imagine if your car just took it into its head to drive off by itself. It can happen, you know, they are looking into it now, the, 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 the self-driving cars. And the way it would work is exactly like that. It would be controlled by nothing other than your mobile phone. You would say, come and pick me up. It would be far away, it's some parking lot, and then it will drive itself down, pick you up and drop you up and drive itself away again. And you have to call it with your mobile phone. That's how they are planning it. Now it's a disaster. How will he tie the donkey? And he's worried while this gentleman, educated man from the village walks past and he's, he says, Sir, I am undone, what can I do? I can't work, I can't leave the donkey here. Uh, it'll just wander off. And that man says, oh, that's just easy. Just pretend to try, tie it, you know, just, just go through the motions. Just like that, yes, yes, just like that, do it. And so he does it. In, you know, he just pretends he's tying the donkey and the donkey is watching. <laughs> And this man takes the clothes of the donkey and retreats backwards slowly watching the donkey. And the donkey is watching him too. <laughs> and he goes and he, he goes about his business looking back and the donkey is just there. It's there munching grass or whatever but it's not moving. And it's amazing, miracle, it's not a rope at all. And when he's done, the clothes are dried and folded, he brings it back to the donkey and says, Hut, move. Donkey doesn't move. <laughs> And he says, my God, what have you done? It's black magic. And he runs to that man's house. Sir, sir, you have put me, put me in sore trouble. Now donkey doesn't move. I can't go back home. Oh, this is just easy, you know. You pretend to untie it, yes. <laughs> and he goes back and he does that, unties it like that, you know, pretends to. And the donkey watches and then he says, move. And the donkey moves. <laughs> Advaita Vedanta works like that. <laughs> It may not feel like that. It may feel that we are really tied to this samsara, to this world, to our problems. But when it, when it works, you begin to see, I never was uh, uh, in trouble in samsara. Swami Vivekananda's beautiful poem, Song of the Sannyasi. Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. All our suffering, all our suffering. Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. Then solution, let go thy hold, sannyasi bold. He's talking to a monk. Let go, the, let go thy hold, sannyasi bold. Say om, tatsat, omens. It's a very beautiful 
poem, but the difficulty is in, is in letting go of the hold. We have such a death grip. How do you do that? That's what Vedanta teaches. Gently, it opens our grip, you know, finger by finger, and so we let go. So the first verse of uh, Manisha Panchakam is foundational. Jagrat Swapna Sushupti Shusputatara Ya Samvidujrimbhate Ya Brahmadi Pipilikantatanushu Prota Jagat Sakshini Saivaham Nachadrisha Vastuiti Dridhap Pragyapi Asyasti Chet Chandalo Vastusatu Dvijo Vastuguru so what is it doing? An investigation into our experience, into our daily experience. First of all, talking about the very nature of consciousness. Note something. Our whole life is a series of experiences. A series of experiences. Just pay attention to so it's a very small set of experiences. Like for example, here, look at the table. And um, look at the book. And maybe look outside at a cactus or something like that. Now you saw three things. And each of these three things appeared to you the consciousness. You can put it in this way. Each experience is different. You experienced uh, a book. You experienced a table. And you experienced a cactus, maybe. And all of them, one after another, all three, they appeared to you, the consciousness. You, the consciousness, yes, of course, through the mind and the senses, you see a book, you see this table, and you see this cactus. The objects are different. One, two, three. Three different objects came before us. But the consciousness which experienced them is the same. It's like this light. I hold up different objects, a pen. What you are, what are, what's happening here? Here's a pen shining in the light. Now, here's a book shining in the light. And now, Here's my hand shining in the light. Pen, book, hand, change. Three different objects. See, one object, second object, and third object. But the light which reveals all of them, each of them, is the same light. Exactly in the same way, can we look at our experiences when we see different things? They are all, the one common thing is they are all appearing to me. They are all appearing to you. You are the common thing in all of these experiences. By you, I mean very specifically the consciousness or the awareness which experiences these three. Why only three objects or four objects? Throughout the day we see hundreds and hundreds of objects. All objects, they appear to the same pair of eyes. And those, and they are revealed to the same mind. And beyond them the same consciousness. So the same awareness experiences sees all objects throughout the day. Why only seeing? You hear sound and music and speech and noise and even the absence of noise and silence. These are experiences through the year inputs come and they are, they are in, in the same awareness. That awareness which saw things. That awareness hears things. Sensations, touch, external and internal, smell, taste, all of the sense organs, they bring in inputs and dump it into the mind and the mind is revealed, uh, is illumined by the light of consciousness. Not a material light but the light of awareness. That light of awareness does not change. Notice what is changing? The objects are changing. Your experiences, our experiences are all different from each other. Throughout the morning, throughout the day, throughout our lifetimes, we have a series of experiences. The moment you say series, it means the experiences are all different from each other. But how does one experience differ from the other experience? It differs because of the objects are different. The things which we experience are different. 
You saw a pen and a hand and a book, they're all different from each other and therefore different experience. But the awareness does not change. It seems to change. It seems to change because what is happening is, when I see a pen and this image is created in the retina and there's some kind of um, optical nerves and to take it to the brain and then it's reconstructed some, there somehow, we don't know, and presented to the mind. And the mind there is a vritti, a thought, a thought current, a thought wave whose content is this pen. It's a thought about a pen and that thought is revealed by awareness. Object, sense, sense organ, mind, consciousness. Consciousness is like a constant light and the various thoughts which come up in the mind are because of external inputs <coughs> and that one constant consciousness which you are that, that shines upon these thought waves and reveals them and gives us our experience. In fact, if you say define an experience, what's an experience? What's the most general definition possible of an experience? Wouldn't you just say it is consciousness plus its object? Consciousness, awareness, I. And an object. Whatever that object is. Here is a pen, it's an object and you are aware of it. In between there's a whole process. We know. The light is reflected of the pen, goes to your eyes and then through the entire process of optical perception, goes to the brain. After which what happens? Nobody knows. There's there is some minute electrical activity in the brains, in the neuron, in the, in the neurons. After which science stops. But we know. All of us know what happens because we experience it. We see a pen. It's, it's a thought in the mind and that's revealed by consciousness. So a series of experiences throughout the day and that constitutes our daily life. In fact, there is a beautiful verse in the Panchadashi, another Vedantic text about, written about 600 years ago in the first chapter. Shabda sparshadayo vedya vaichitra jagare prithak tato vibhakta tat samvid aikarupyana vidyate Beautiful, very precise verse. It says, all our experiences they are of different sounds, shabdaha, sounds, touches, sparshaha, etc. Etc. means forms which we see, smells which we smell, taste, different perceptions. And not only that, go deeper, thoughts, desires, memories. So all of these, they come and go, they are all distinct from each other. They are all different from each other. They are different entities. But the consciousness, the word used is samvit, consciousness. The consciousness which illumines them, that does not differ. That is one and the same throughout. So it's like a one, it's one constant light. Are you with me so far? Otherwise you can put a little chit in the basket there. <laughs> now what happens? At the end of the day we fall asleep. And this entire waking life shifts out of our experience. And a series of dreams take its, takes its place. And in the dream, we have a dream world. There are people, there are, we, we, experience, we, we, we experience people and places uh, and events taking place. We are doing things, things are happening. It's a dream world, uh, like a, a reconstruction, a virtual reconstruction of our waking world. But what Vedanta is in, interested in is not the contents of our dreams. Your, your therapist will be interested in the contents of your dreams. What Vedanta is interested in is what is experiencing a dream? And the answer is exactly the same consciousness which was experiencing the waking. Same consciousness illumines the dream. Yeah. It is true that dream, what is, what's the difference between dream and waking from a Vedantic perspective? Waking is defined as when our sense organs come in contact with the external world. That is waking and we experience that. When the sense organs shut down and the entire virtual world is created in the mind, which we understand only after waking up, that entire virtual world is created in the mind that we call a dream in sleep. But the point they want to make is in dream also the same consciousness continues. Same consciousness, unbroken, it continues. 
thoughts change. The mind has different thoughts in it, different feelings in it. Even the personality changes. The person who is dreaming is actually sleeping on, on the bed, you're, you're happily on your bed and asleep and you forget all of that, otherwise you cannot dream. And then you think, maybe you're in Manhattan walking in Central Park, uh, or somebody said Calgary where it is, uh, 8 degrees Celsius and here it's 42. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you're walking, the, you, you for, the world has changed, the experience has changed, even the body which you are using there. It, it's a different body which is dreamt up because your waking body is actually sleeping on bed and you are walking in Calgary in some other body there. So those experiences are different but the consciousness which experiences the dream the claim is it is one and unbroken consciousness. And then what happens? You fall asleep. Deep sleep. So waking, dreaming, deep sleep. Now there it seems consciousness has stopped. It's like you're not aware anymore. But Vedanta claims that it is not, there isn't an absence of consciousness. Vedanta actually makes the claim that consciousness continues in deep sleep. In fact, one good way of, of appreciating what Vedanta means by consciousness is to look at the deep sleep experience, not fall asleep, in your waking state now, look back upon, consider the deep sleep experience and think in what sense is it an experience. If we can think, understand in what sense we can call deep sleep an experience, we'll begin to understand what consciousness, what Vedanta means by consciousness. Vedanta does not mean by consciousness thoughts, thinking, does not mean by consciousness feeling, does not mean by consciousness ideas and conceptualization. Because the, dif the difference between consciousness and the mind is not sharply defined in modern parlance. You see, when we generally talk about consciousness in our common um, the way, way we talk, or even in consciousness studies, unfortunately the problem with modern consciousness studies is the difference between mind and consciousness is not appreciated. So what do we mean by consciousness in, in our general um, talk? Well, I am thinking, so it is conscious. I am seeing, speaking, it is conscious, I am aware. But generally we mean the activities of the mind and the body and the senses, the conscious mind, body and senses. That's what we mean by consciousness. Vedanta makes a very clear dis distinction between consciousness and its objects. What's the distinction? Very simple. Once you know it, you can apply it. It's like a sharp knife, which you can apply it to distinguish consciousness from everything else. What is that? In your own experience, in our own experience, Whatever we can classify as this, in your experience, whatever you can label as this, that's not consciousness, that's an object. That's an object. That which is not an object, that which you cannot call this, that is consciousness. It's very elegant. You try it in your experience. Can you, can you look at this now? We, will, we, can try, we, can, we are going to go straight into the heart of Vedanta in three, four steps right now. In your experience. It's one thing to understand it in concept, uh, conceptually, but actually another thing much more powerful to viscerally experience this thing. You can try it right now. Look at, you, most of us we have pens, so you can just look at this one. Can you call it this pen? Yes. Then this is not consciousness. So yeah, of course, what are you talking about? Alright, alright, we'll go slowly. The eyes with which you see this pen. Can you call them these eyes or this eye or these eyes? Can you, can you say that? Yes. yes, so this is not consciousness. Now we are closer home. Now not, not so cocksure anymore. This is not consciousness because I can call it this. Now the mind within which is um, thinking, what is he saying, what is consciousness, De this, it's a thought, right? Can you call it in your own mind, experience it in your own mind, can you call it this thought? Yes. You say this is a happy thought, this is a depressing thought, so this, can, you can use the word this for the thought, mm -hmm. then the thought is not consciousness. 
what is experiencing that thought try introspect inside right now what is experiencing that thought you will find if you try to do that beyond the thought you will notice if you do it yourself you will find a blankness you just find an absence of thought a blankness true or not yes. now we are very close home can we say this blankness yes. if you can say this blankness to whom or to what is it this blankness you can't catch it if you catch it it becomes this but to what is it this that is itself not consciousness but it points to the real consciousness to what what our real nature is let's try it even more viscerally even more concrete just follow this I'm going to ask you to locate yourself this pen this pen very close we'll go step by step this pen okay pen is here you're looking at it baby steps where are you simple answer where are you where here there there you are okay there you are all right you are watching this pen with the eyes right blink your eyes to get a feel for your eyes blink your eyes right so there are the eyes where are you with respect to the eyes where are you just look at now you cannot point it out you're in there somewhere I am follow this you do it yourself I am in there some somewhere experiencing my eyes blinking is it not okay these eyes are part of the body this body is experienced the body is here where am I well, somewhere in the body experiencing the body are you with me all right now subtler notice we have gone from the object to the body now I am somewhere in the body embodied experiencing the body as this subtler breathe in and breathe out like the morning uh, meditation we did mindfulness there's the breath did you notice it with respect to the breath where are you subtler inwards experiencing the breath somewhere inwards subtler than the breath to you the breath is an object to me in there the breath is an object which I experienced right yes now this thought this thought I am breathing I breathe in and breathe out and the thought comes in my mind that was an in-breath that was an out-breath this thought with respect to this thought where am I where did I experience this thought from where did you experience this thought from somewhere in inward subtler than the thought true or not all right even subtler even more inwards this understanding this understanding that I am inwards and the thought is something that is an object which I experienced this understanding this knowledge I am thinking this kind of understanding this is also an understanding this is also an object which I'm experiencing with respect to this understanding where am I experience that first-person experience and beyond that understanding if you push further back that blankness with respect to that blankness where am I the experiencer all right so when you are comfortable just come back again back to this world what did we just do those who know Vedanta you know we just did Panchakosha Viveka the five sheets the external world the pen fine then the first sheet which sheet means Vedanta says we are covered with five sheets the real I consciousness is actually it's as if it was covered by five sheets as if 
What are the five sheets? First, the body. Annamaya Kosha, yes, first the body. Go deeper. Pranamaya Kosha. Go deeper. The thoughts. Manomaya Kosha. The very understanding itself, which we are using right now. Vigyanamaya Kosha. Buddhi. Intellect, understanding. Push further, you'll just come to a blankness. But even that blankness is a very subtle point. Even the blankness is experienced as an object. True or not? If you say, Swami, and there's nothing more than that, it's just blank. Ah, but you experience blankness. What experience blankness? So as you turn inwards from that blankness, you can find no other object. If you can even grasp, if you can even grasp that the blankness is appearing to what? That one is not an object, that one you cannot call this. You cannot label it as this. What I'm trying to say here is, we are talking about a matter of fact, not a theory, not, not some kind of abstraction. Let's take it at each stage. You know, we think that, yeah, it's a matter of fact, but there's something to be enlightened about, to realize later on when I become a fully enlightened person, a Buddha. No. You can do that, but you can post that, will only be postponing it. And if you do not do that, who knows, we'll be enlightened right here in this session. You need not at attend the other sessions too. <laughs> this pen, which represents the whole world of objects, the material objects, is, is it a fact or not? I mean, you don't do Advaita on that, oh, it's an appearance, it's Maya and all, no, 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 don't do that. Just now, would you call it a fact? Yes. And this hall that you are sitting here on the, on the chair, would you call it a fact? Yes. yes. Then come back to the body, this body. Would you call it a fact or a theory? Fact. Fact. And the breath? Fact or theory? Fact. Not all of you seem to be convinced. <laughs> Very important to breathe. It's a good idea always to breathe. <laughs> fact. And the thought. Yeah, yeah, it's a fact. That, that thought, you know. That thought. That thought was a fact or is it theoretical? It's a fact. You thought it right now. Your introspection reveals it to you. And beyond that, the understanding. Buddhi. Fact. If you try to push beyond that, you come to a blankness, an absence. That's also a fact. You experience it. How can it not be a fact? And if you are experiencing all this, you must be the experiencer of it all. How can that be theory? How can you postpone that, that after I become enlightened, that will become a fact? Right now, it's just a theory. No, it's as much a fact, in fact, more of a fact, than everything else that you experience. Starting from the pen, to the body, to the breath, to the mind, to the intellect, to the blankness beyond the intellect, all are appearing, changing and disappearing in the light of you, the consciousness. That is what we mean by consciousness. And that continues in waking, and in dreaming, and in deep sleep. What is deep sleep? Why deep sleep is an important fact? It's because Deep sleep can be taken as an example, uh, as a counter-example. That there is no consciousness in deep sleep. No. Vedanta says that deep sleep is not an absence of experience. It's an experience of absence. It's still an experience. Vedanta says that when we wake up from deep sleep, we have the, there's a universal experience. I slept happily. I did not know anything. I slept peacefully. In every language in the world, there is a corresponding um, phrase for, I slept like a log, you know, deep sleep. In Bengali, we have, ghumi ekada, which means I slept like mud. <laughs> <laughs> to understand that, you have to understand the heat of Bengal, which is as hot as this, plus 100% humidity. <laughs> so if you go into deep sleep in that heat, you'll wake up feeling like mud. <laughs> so that's where the, but deep sleep, we have this in every language in the world. And if you have a language, if we are reporting it, it must be an experience. And yet, remember, it's how strange an experience is it? Because I don't experience the world in deep sleep. I don't experience the body in deep sleep. I don't even experience dreams in deep sleep. 
I don't even experience I in deep sleep. It's an experience of absence of everything, but still an experience. It's an experience like the blankness you experience now when you push beyond the intellect. If you try intensely to shut down all thoughts, it's not possible in the waking state, but for an instant or two it's possible. Now that is a kind of um, a prefiguration, a kind of example of deep sleep. So consciousness continues. Consciousness continues in the waking, illumining all your sense experiences. It continues in dream, illumining all the contents of your dreams. And it continues after dreams, when the, the mind shuts down. Waking state, sense organs are functioning. Dream state, sense organs have shut down, but the mind continues to function. In deep sleep state, both sense organs and mind have shut down. But awareness continues. So all of this comes and goes, and after that again the waking state or the dream state comes up. So it's, a, it's like a, it's continuously cycles back and forth, and that is what we call one day. One day. That's the story of one day. Waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. The contents of which are various sense experiences, various dreams. Of course, when we are having sense experiences, we are also thinking. We're thinking and feeling and desiring and um, enjoying and suffering and dreams and blankness and again waking again dreaming again deep sleep now the Upanishads uh, the Manisha Panchakam says in all our waking Jagrat Swapna Sushuptishu in our waking dreaming and deep sleep Sputatara clearly unmistakably Ya Samvid Ujjrimbhate that consciousness which clearly shines forth Ujjribhati means swells forth, expands forth, flashes forth. And the word used is samvit, consciousness. That consciousness which, we, which is shining on all our experiences. As, remember, as not this consciousness. Anything that you can designate as this is an object to consciousness. But you are not any of those objects. You are this consciousness. Says so Swami, if you are careful, you will say, didn't you make a little jump here? So you are saying that there is consciousness all throughout. But how, how do you say that I am that consciousness? The simple exercise which we did, what you can designate as this. The exercise, this pen. And I asked you, where are you? You will say, I am there. Here I am. This body, where are you? Somewhere in there. I am somewhere in there. This mind or the breath, and then the mind, and then the intellect, and then the blankness, always further and further, deeper and subtler and inside. The word for inside in Sanskrit is pratyak. Pratyak is inward. You always feel I'm in there. Even when you think a thought, you don't feel I'm exterior to the thought. You feel the thought is exterior to me. I am shining on the thought. The thought is not shining on me. So this in innermost consciousness, this is called samvit, and it is clear in waking and in dream and in deep sleep. Everything else comes and goes in the light of that consciousness, but that consciousness is constant. There are different words used for it: chit in Sanskrit, consciousness; chaitanya, consciousness; samvit, consciousness; or sometimes just atma, the self, the innermost self. Pratyagatma, innermost self. Many words are used, but they all mean the same thing. Alright. This is one process which we use now. This is called the method of three states. Waking, dreaming, deep sleep. Avasthatraya vichara, an inquiry into the three states. And this is found in the Upanishad called the Mandukya Upanishad. It's the shortest of the Upanishads, just 12 mantras, most powerful of the Upanishads. It uses this unique method. Look at your own experience, daily experience of waking, dreaming, deep sleep. And it will, it will reveal to you that quite apart from the, from the waking world, quite apart from the dream world, quite apart from the darkness of deep sleep, you are one shining awareness. That's what you are. That awareness 
in association with body and mind appears as the waker and experiences the waking world right now that awareness in association with the thought construct called your dream body the body in the dream experiences that is a dreamer experiences the dream world that awareness in in association with just blankness and ignorance is the experiencer in deep sleep it the person disappears basically so that awareness continues in all three states now second line of the uh, verse ya brahmadi pipilikanta tanushu prota jagat sakshini let's ask a question all right so i am not the body not the mind not the intellect not even the blankness beyond body mind and intellect i am an unchanging awareness that in itself is a big step a really big step but how many such awarenesses are there how many people are here attending the in the the, the uh, 75 so are there 75 plus 1 76 awarenesses <laughs> it feels like that how many bodies 76 how many minds presumably 76 because our minds are different uh, your knowledge what you know is not what i know your personal story which is in your mind is different from my personal story which is in this mind so the minds are different because the contents of the minds are different the bodies are different are the awarenesses different too are we different awarenesses encased in physical bodies and uh, subtle minds um or is it one awareness how would you know if you feel you know a preliminary answer would be yes we are all different so our, your awareness and mine would be different if you feel that in each body and mind there is a separate pure consciousness awareness some bit whatever you call it then this is the sankhyan position the sankhya philosophy the sankhya philosophy says that consciousness is separate in each body mind so each being is a separate consciousness pure consciousness apart from body and mind but separate it's like so many lights yeah. these are all different lights and each light spreads out and illumines the entire room but each light is different the source is different like that imagine separate lights the the philosopher leibniz we know him for, as a mathematician calculus he uh, his idea was something like this is ultimately he says each soul is a separate he called it a monad monad it's very very much like the sankhyan purusha so each soul is separate and he gives a very evocative idea um that imagine the night firmament here it's it's very spectacular in the in the desert here the night sky with all those separate sparkling um, shining luminaries the stars forever separated from each other by the gulf of unimaginable darkness space between them so we are like that each of us is a shining point of consciousness but forever separate from each other that's a sankhyan point of view Advaita says one consciousness shining through every body and mind we are actually all one being one existence one consciousness but appearing to be divided in the bhagavad gita shri krishna says kshetragyam chapi mam vidhi sarvakshetreshu bharat in the 13th chapter shri krishna tells arjuna in all these fields which are the fields each body and mind is a field in all these fields there is a knower of the field what does he mean you you are experiencing your own body you are experiencing your own mind so you are called the knower of the field which field that field that field that field so how many knowers of the field with well, the fields are many so i guess there are many knowers of the field sri krishna says on the contrary i am the one knower of the fields in all bodies and minds bodies are different minds are different the fields are different but there is one knower it appears to be different in the in the gita itself krishna says one alike in all bodies and minds yet seeming to be different 
अविभक्तम च भूतेशु विभक्तम स्थितम अनडिवाइडेड इन ऑल बीइंग्स अपीयरिंग टू बी डिवाइडेड दिस अपीयरिंग टू बी डिवाइडेड इज इन ईच इंडिविजुअल बीइंग द रियलिटी बिहाइंड ईच इंडिविजुअल बीइंग इज वन अनडिवाइडेड ऑफ कोर्स द सांख्यंस डोंट गिव अप इजीली सो दे हैव दे हैव ऑब्जेक्शंस दे से नो 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 इट्स इट्स कूल टू से वी आर ऑल वन बट डजंट फील लाइक दैट हियर आर माय ऑब्जेक्शंस व्हाई वुड यू से दैट दैट वी आर ऑल वन the vedantin turns the question around and asks yes uh, vedantin turns and ask uh, turns around and asks the question why do you think we are different you see the question is very interesting if you ask why do you think these bodies are different count them you can see you can count them why do you think these minds are different give questionnaires you know statistics or or like a survey like a, a gallup poll or something and you will see a variety of opinions ideas feelings so obviously our minds are different but why would you say consciousness is a different apart from body and mind what distinguishes one consciousness from another do you see the question do you see the question what distinguishes how would you differentiate between two things that two things are different how how would you say because they if they have differentiating characteristics if they have differentiating characteristics then only you can say two things are different in sanskrit vishesha vishesha means a distinguishing characteristic a book is different from a pen why did you say that well swami look at it it looks different this looks different it does different things it does different things it has a different name book is a different name pen names are different forms are different functions are different nama roopa vyavaha are different therefore they are different even the two pens are different see How do you say the two pens? They, they look alike. They have the same name, name, and the same function. Yet they are different. How? Because they are countably different. One, two. They occupy different space here. How would you say two consciousnesses are different? How would you even begin to count? Well, Swami, it's very simple. There you are. There's your consciousness. Here I am. Here's my consciousness. But there and here, you're talking about the bodies. you will see every difference in consciousness that we point to is a difference in the body or specifically the mind usually we're confusing mind thoughts ideas with consciousness okay just think about it that way so what shankara says here is it is one consciousness from the highest gods from brahma not brahman brahman is the ultimate reality but the highest god the creator god brahma from the highest god in the highest heaven down to an to a, the mere ant and and crawling around there it is the one consciousness in all human beings or in all animals in all even the gods in the heavens in the tiniest creatures everywhere one shining experience of consciousness one immortal light shining through in and through all beings we are literally one not in slogans I mean, it's in universal brotherhood or sisterhood. That's just at the surface. Really, literally, we're identical. We are one being. The oneness exists at the most fundamental level of the universe. So, that consciousness, which shining through the the highest gods down to the tiniest creatures, prota jagat sakshini. Prota means in and through. When you have a garland of gems. there is a string there is a uh, there is in a necklace or a garland there is a there is a thread which runs through all the flowers or the gems like that imagine consciousness running through all of us one thread like a golden thread running through all of us preliminary understanding would be if we say that um the thread runs through the um, garland through the flowers or the gems but a deeper understanding would be all the gems are set on the thread all the flowers are set on the thread it is on this thread of consciousness that all bodies and minds are set jagat sakshini very beautiful term the witness of the universe witness of the universe you are the illuminer you the consciousness are not just the illuminer of that body and mind when i say you are the consciousness illumining that body and mind by now we know enough to say that's a fact you agree with me that you are the knower in that body and mind you are the consciousness experiencing that body and mind and through that body and mind you are experiencing your world 
Up to that much seems to be a direct fact. True or not? Are you with me? Now Shankara is saying that same consciousness is in all bodies and minds, in every creature in this universe and is the experiencer of the entire universe. This experiencer of the entire universe is actually what is called God in Vedanta. Experiencer of one body and mind is called Jiva, individual sentient being. Experiencer of the entire universe in all bodies and minds is Ishwara, the Lord of the universe which corresponds to the God of religion, the cosmic being. Saivaham na drishyavastuiti dridaprajnapi yasyasti chet. I am that one consciousness. Sa eva aham. Let me do this and I'll stop. Saivaham, this word means I am that. There's a book, I am that. Nisargadatta. Very popular among non do Yes, you see, people are immediately saying, yes, Nisargadatta. <laughs> Very popular among non dualists. Sa, this is Shankaracharya, 1400 years before Nisargadatta, saying, I am that. Sa, Sa actually, Saivam is Sa, she, not even he. Why she? Because the earlier word was Jagat Sakshini, uh, the one consciousness, Ya, that one consciousness in the, in the feminine, uh, which is Jagat Sakshini. She, Eva, alone, Aham, I. I am she, literally it means, I am she and only she. This Sa, this is God. This Aham, this is the individual, each of us, I. It means I, the individual. I, the individual, am that God, but in what sense? That God is nothing but consciousness and I am nothing but consciousness. Not consciousness plus something else. I am consciousness and consciousness alone. Mm. And consciousness plus mind plus body. No, you are consciousness alone experiencing a mind and body. So, no, no, I am this mind and body. Then, then how can you exist in a dream? Question. If you say, I am irrevocably this mind and body. In a dream, do you experience this body? No, you don't. And yet you, the awareness, you continue in a dream. So you continue without experiencing this body. Therefore the awareness can continue without this body, without experiencing this body. You are not irrevocably tied to this body. If you see what I mean. Saivaham. I, the individual being, experiencer of one body and mind. And she, that consciousness, experiencer of the entire universe. I am she. So I am sa eva aham, I am that, or I am she literally here, not an object, not drishya not vastu, drishya means object of experience. Till now we have been thinking of ourselves as objects of experience, this body, the moment you say this, it's an object of experience, this mind, object of experience, this person Sarva Priyananda, this is what I am, but you are saying this. It's an object. I am not an object of experience. Whoever has this solid conviction, unchanging, unwavering, beyond any doubt, Drida Pragya, this conviction, this wisdom, let that person be a Chandala, a person from the lowest caste like this man standing before me, let that person be Dvijo, let that be the highest caste of noblest of Brahmins. That person, whatever the outer packaging, that person is my guru, my spiritual master. This is my conviction. guru. That one is my spiritual master, one who has this conviction. What is this conviction? I am not an object. Whether it's an object in a waking state, in the dream state or a deep sleep, I am the one consciousness shining in all of them. Not only in this one body and mind, from the highest Brahma, Brahma to the tiniest ant, through all bodies and all human beings, animals, gods, and that one con consciousness which is the witness of the universe. That one I am. This conviction, the person who has with great clarity, unshaking clarity, such a one, 
be it a Chandal or be it a Brahmin, such a one is my spiritual master, my guru. So this is the foundation of Advaita, this insight. Let me stop here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu Thank you.